Hello and welcome to a Karakatsu Podcast. Today we'll be interviewing Dr. Kelsey Brenner on the topic of QEEG and neurofeedback. If you'd like to learn more about how to use clinical neuroscience to help more patients, please visit karakinstitute.com. Hello and welcome to a Karakatsu Podcast. My name is Dr. Freddy Garcia, and today we are joined by Dr. Kelsey Brenner of South Florida Integrative Health. And we're going to be talking about neurofeedback and QEEG. Dr. Brenner, can you hear me? I can. How are you doing, Dr. Garcia? Oh, I'm so good, Kelsey. Welcome out to the show. I'm so happy to have you on here. Um, hey, one of the reasons I'm excited is because I actually know very little about neurofeedback and QEEG. And I know you've done your due diligence and are leveraging this technology very well in your successful practice. So I'm excited to learn from you. So first, I want to say thank you for coming on. Of course. Thank you for having me. It's an exciting topic for me, so I'm excited to talk about it. Yeah, I actually I actually heard when you were going on this journey, and I, and I know how brilliant you are as a clinician. So I was like, hey, I cannot wait to get the shortcut on this education from Dr. Brenner, which is why you're on the show. <laughs> so I'm, I'm <laughs> selfishly selfishly having you on the show so I can learn from you. Is that, is that bad? That's not no, bad, it's great. It? All right, awesome. <laughs> hey, so like I said, I know very little about neurofeedback and, and QEG to the point where, you know, whenever I do light reading on it, I actually get confused. I feel like the terms are, are thrown about. But hey, but listen, before we even jump into it, I, I got to ask you, you know, your first time on this show and some people have heard of you, some people you're new to them. Um, can you tell us a little bit about your background, um, where are you from, where you went to school, some of those things? Sure. Um, I am a Jersey girl. So good or bad. Um, I went to undergrad in New York. Um, I was pre-med and mathematics major. And um, eventually I kind of realized that I wanted to go more of a natural route. I went to chiropractic school in Atlanta. um, And the timing just worked out amazingly that my first year in school was when Dr. Carrick came and started working there. Um, and so, I mean, I couldn't have been in a better position to learn and I was given such amazing opportunities to learn from him and everybody around him my entire time in school. Um, I eventually took over the neuro club, which was a great learning opportunity and really connected me to some great people. Um, and it was just kind of life exploded from there, being able to learn that work with patients, uh, and then eventually move down here and open up our own clinic. Awesome. Yeah, you know, so I, you know, keep hearing all these doctors, and there seems to be an amazing abundance of doctors that have been around Dr. Carrick uh, for those years with the rounds, especially when he was at Life University, that are now, you know, years later, many years later, amazing clinicians. Um, yeah, well, I mean, what an amazing opportunity, and it, and it definitely uh, leads credence to Dr. Carrick as, as a mentor in this field, right? Oh, absolutely. I mean, I look back at that time and I mean, people talk about fate like that couldn't have been more perfect. Um, I have family members who have been impacted by um, brain injuries and conditions. And I'd always wanted to do something in that field, whether it be through medical school or something else. And for him to come on campus and to learn from, I mean, the master and be able to now take this and use it with my own family members and my own patients, I being around him was life altering to say the least. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah, I, I, I feel the same way, but it's about every week since I get to hang out with them a little bit now. So <laughs> yeah. 
it's, it's always, I mean, gosh, we, we could be talking about something completely non-neuroscience related and you realize how brilliant that man is. Like he's literally yeah. a wealth of knowledge and, and almost everything to the point of almost being annoying. He's that brilliant. It's, I've never met anything like it. Yeah. And a wealth of jokes as well. It's <laughs> <laughs> always a good time. Hey, yeah. so let's get into it. So Mm-hmm. New neurofeedback QEG. I hear those terms kind of thrown around. I'm always going, you know, what are they really talking about? Are they two different things? Or are they the same thing? What's the scoop? Yes. So QEEG is the actual brain map, um, and so and like a regular EEG, um, you get this big screen full of brain waves that you're looking at. The Q part is quantitative. So you're taking an EEG and you're comparing it to a normative database. Mm-hmm. And so this database um, has thousands of patients in it. They've all been rigorously tested. And the patient that you have that you're taking the EEG from, they're compared to a um, gender and age match in that database. And so what that gives you, it gives you um, a map of Z-scores. And what Z-scores are is standard deviations. And so you have all these points on this map and you're, it tells you, okay, in this area, is there too much alpha or too little beta or too little or too much theta? And it gives you a score of either one, two, three, four, kind of, it goes in a range of zero to positive five-ish and zero to negative five-ish or, or a little bit greater. Do those positive and, and, and negative, does that mean like under or over activation of a specific region right. in the brain? Yes. So say that you're looking at um, one of the frontal uh, lobe locations on the queue mm-hmm. and it's specifically looking at the alpha map and it's in the red so maybe it's a positive four and so what that's telling you is there's too much alpha wave activity located in that area if it was more in the blue color or going more towards the negatives and there's too little and so all of these different brain waves and all of these different regions in the brain are compared to this database to tell you, okay, is this person's brain working normally and compares to this database, or are there certain areas that have too much or too little activity? Awesome. Well, I mean, considering the work we do, that seems very valuable. So this is called, yes. this is a QEG, and this is like brain mapping, you said, right? Correct. So okay. this is, when in our office, we use this. And so we take a brain map of every patient who comes in. And so we get an idea along with all the other diagnostics we run, we use that to kind of create the picture of what's going on in our patient's brain. Mm-hmm. Got it. Got it. Okay. So then there's the other side of things, the neurofeedback, which I guess is separate. What's, what's that? So that's the actual training. And so there's different types um, and it, it's changed over history of kind of what people have used. Um, but now the more modern way to use it is to use the, um, that database while you're training. And so it's called Z-score neurofeedback. And what that means is the entire time that the patient's training, which I can explain a little bit later of how that works, um, their brain waves are being compared to this database constantly. And so wherever their brain is at at that moment, they're kind of being wrangled into a normative range of Z-scores. And so, and it does that through feedback. So whatever's happening in their brain, if there's a little too much or a little too little of certain brain waves, it's compared to that database to try and bring it closer towards that norm. Okay. So how do you, how are you, I guess I'm going to ask the question now, you're going to tell us <laughs> later, how do you bring it closer to that norm? Sure. So 
Um, and this, I mean, it is an interesting concept and it does take a lot to kind of like, okay, how is this all working? But when the patient, so for us, we tend to use a lot of visual feedback. So I have a patient who comes in, I've done their cue. I've looked at their map. I have an idea and compared to all of our other diagnostics as well, what's going on. And so I have them sit down in the chair. I hook them up to the cap and um, we begin training. And what that means is that I have the protocol set so that their brain map, what's happening currently, needs to start moving towards normative Mm Z-scores. And so how that works is whenever those brain areas are in that normative range of what that brain is, they will get a positive reward. And so for us, we tend to use a dimmer on a screen. They could be watching Netflix or something, or movie, something like that. And when they are in that normative range that is set on the, the settings, the movie will play clear. If they're not, the movie will start to dim. And so what happens is the brain, it's a learning process, it's operant conditioning. And so whenever the brain realizes, hey, if I'm, I'm in this brainwave, the movie will play clear, it tends to gravitate and search for that brainwave and stay in it a little bit longer. So Wow, so I, I, I'm hearing this, I'm going, I need to experience <laughs> this. Like I'm about to take the drive and, and have you hook me up. Whatever hook <laughs> me up, is uh, actually that's a that's a fair question how do you one how do you acquire the data like when you are getting a brain map or so what you call you know you did their cue or whatever um and you mentioned the cap i've yeah. seen these things before and i've seen a couple different versions is this is this where the probes kind of go on the person's skull yes so um like i mentioned this whole field has evolved um a lot um it started probably um, around the 50s or 60s. Um, and so it's evolved from kind of a more simplified, um, a few electrodes on the head, um, more amplitude training. So they're just specifically saying, hey, at this one site, I'm going to increase alpha and decrease theta or something. And now with advanced in technology and computers, we're able to do a lot more um, advanced things. And so what we have now are these larger caps. And so we can get up to 19 channels on one cap. And so you can either have a wet cap or a dry cap. And so for us, we have we have both um, in case one goes wrong. But obviously, I tend to like the dry cap a little better. And so this cap um, gets placed on the patient's head. And um, you kind of adjust it. You make sure you have a good connection. And then you get that reading with the wet cap. You have to put that on, gel it up, make sure you get the good reading, scrub some of the areas, really get a good, uh, a good, a good hold onto it. Um, but you, yes, contact. Um, but either way, once the once the caps are on, what's happening is the all, all of our neurons. I mean, people who are, would be listening to this are in this field; they understand neurophysiology and how this works. And um, when these neurons are firing. Obviously, you can have one neuron firing, you have a few neurons firing, but when you get massive groups of neurons firing together, mm-hmm. they create um, they create an electrical impulse that can be read through the skull and into an EEG. Wow. And usually, this is this is the uh, pyramidal cells that are usually about six uh, centimeters below uh, the scalp, and so that information can reach outside of the scalp and be read by the EEG. This information is then taken and put through an amplifier. That amplifier then takes that information and puts it into the software that's on your computer, and that's where you see the actual brain waves read out onto the screen. 
this is this is incredible. This is incredible <laughs> that we can do this. I mean, this is like it is rocking my world right now. It's like so futuristic, but I guess it's now, right? Well, yeah, I mean, and I actually had somebody ask me the other day, like, oh, how did you get into this? And I was like, I don't even remember. Like, I don't remember a one moment where I was like, oh, my gosh, what is this? I, it, um, it just a few years ago, I think I just started reading things. I mean, our world is the neuron. And so I think I was just studying the neuron, the, how the physiology of it, how it all works. And I think I just kind of stumbled into this field. And I was like, wait, how have we not discussed this? I mean, this is, mm -hmm. <laughs> we are, if the neuron is our playground, how are we not discussing the oscillations of it and how it's actually um, communicating to other areas of the brain? Um, it seemed like it was just such a perfect fit with this functional neurology model. Um, and to be able to use this along with what everything else we do, it just seemed like kind of that icing on the cake. Yeah, no, I agree with you. I mean, as I'm learning about it, I'm thinking just like you. It's like, how is this not everywhere? But I, I know a lot of people are huge fans of it, but it seems like they're either on it or they're not. And the people that are on it, it's kind of like the minority. But I think it's, I think probably every, uh, the other, uh, the majority, I think maybe fall into the group like me, where you kind of go, I don't really know what this stuff is. It's very tough to get such an eloquent explanation like you're sharing with us. So I'm, I'm already learning. Um, let's talk about units. You said there's wet and dry. I've, I've heard that uh, patients prefer the dry units, right? Because they don't have to get any of like, this paste in their hair. The patients and the clinicians, because I can tell you from experience, it's a lot easier to set up a dry cap than a wet cap. But you pay Definitely. more for the dry units, right? You do. Um, you, do you do pay more, and um, they have a limit on head size. So oh. small children can't use – I mean, I know there's some companies that are also coming out with child caps, but then you have to purchase two. Mm -hmm. um, but – and honestly, I think eventually it's probably worth it. <laughs> but um, the – so it, it says it's head size because you can only adjust the cap so much to get – get it in the right location. And so we, we do have both. We have the wet unit and the dry unit um, because of that reason. And if anything were to happen to one of the units, we have the other. Um, and so the wet unit, it does take more time and it is, um, it is a kind of a burden on the patient. I mean, you get some gel on their hair, but when they, if they know what it's doing for them, they tend not to care. We've had weeks where we've used just the wet cap and it was fine. Um, it just takes a little bit longer. So is, is the name of the game, whether you're doing wet or dry, that you have to get these leads part uh, close to or exactly on a specific part of the skull where they know you could read what you're supposedly reading? Is that how this works? I mean, I know I'm being yeah. very vague here, but that's as, that's <laughs> no, as much as I know. It's, um, so this, it's called the 1020 system, and that's how EEGs are read. And um, the wet caps and the dry caps, they're already... Um, built in with those locations so you don't have to be measuring and putting them in all these different spots um, and so there's different size caps as with regards to the wet cap um, that you can use for different size heads so that they're put they're placed in this in the specific locations that they need to be placed um, because and we can get into this later too that there's other forms of neurofeedback coming out that are actually getting into the more deeper structures of the brain um, that are definitely going to be very interesting to our field. Um, but that's where these locations really come of importance because you need to have um, specific areas so that they can kind of create a map for you uh, with regards to like, these 3D interstructures. Um, but with regards to setup, the wet and dry cap, it's 
it's already set up so that you can have those locations um, placed pretty easily. So I'm going to ask you two questions, uh, only because I don't want to forget the second one. Uh, one, I, I, you, you bring up an interesting point about the deeper structure. So part of me wants to know, what can you map in, with the current technology that's out there, the more mainstream technology? And one, since I know very little about the units, uh, what do people need to know when they're shopping uh, for this technology to incorporate it into their practice? Because I know, for example, uh, here at the Carrick Institute, we're, we're all in support of the evidence-based uh, technology, whether it be for clinical assessment or uh, therapeutic application. Um, but when you're doing research at QEG, there's uh, you want a specific amount of leads for, for it to be research quality. And then the question is, does it matter when you're working with your patients if you're not doing research? What did you find in your journey on this? Yeah, and I, mean, I went through this, the same thing that you're asking. I was, this whole, it was, it was, I didn't know very many people who were doing it. I didn't really know all the technology. I was trying to find anybody I could to just kind of explain what I needed to be looking for because I had the same concerns. I was like, I, I'm all of our equipment that we have in our office is very um, high tech. It's evidence based. It's um, research quality, and I wasn't going to skimp out on the neurofeedback portion of it either. And um, so. What it came down to was number of leads. I wasn't going to have anything less than 19 channels. I mean, that's what you need um, research-wise and what you need to um, in order to get a full picture of what's going on in the brain. Um, in order to even get even do neurofeedback, you need to have at least two and a ground and um, earlobes because you need to have um, the ability to it needs to be able to read from each other. Um, so in my opinion, with what we do in our field, I wouldn't do anything less. I wouldn't have anything less than 19 channels mm -hmm. just to be able to get that map, get an idea of what's going on and to be able to do the full head training. Um, then with regards to the rest of the equipment, so you need that, that cap, you need um, an amplifier. And so you need to have something. And whenever you go to a certain company, they'll explain the amplifiers that they have. And you need something that could handle the 19 channels. And then there's software. And so the software reads, takes in that amplifier information and reads it out to you. Then if you're doing QEG brain mapping, you need to have access to a database. So you would upload this, um, this EEG file that you just created to this database and it would compare it and then you get back a brain map. So those are, that's the equipment you need. You need the cap. Mm -hmm. You need the amplifier, you need the software which reads and also does the training, and you need the database to create the map and do the training off of. Um, all right, so the database, is there one database that's better than the other, or they're kind of like, you know, a couple main players in the field, or everybody's like, all right, go with this one or this one, they're both great. Uh, what, did, what did you find? Um, um, obviously, there's there's Thatcher's database, which has been considered the gold standard for a very long time. I, I um, met that man. Yeah, I actually yeah. he was a uh, he was at ISCN, right? He was one of yes, he was one of he was. yes, perfect. Yeah, nice mm -hmm. guy, very very nice guy. Yeah. So, um, and he, I mean, if you read, uh, can go into at the end just like where to look for textbooks and things like that. But any research um, by him, um, Lubar, uh, a few other players, it's just really interesting stuff. Um, mm -hmm. So he's he's there a great database. Um, we've also used uh, QEG Pro, mm -hmm. and then I have never used it, but um, another one that I had heard of when I was doing my research was BrainDX. So those, the ANI database, which is Thatcher's, um, the QEG Pro, and the BrainDX, those are the three that I was kind of 
researching, but I tended to gravitate towards the um, uh, David uh, to Thatcher's and uh, QED Prop. Awesome. Well, great. Wow, you're you're going to really help out a lot of people who are uh, searching for this information. So thank you for sharing. Mm-hmm. Um, so my my follow up question was, what areas of the brain are do you have access to? Uh, because you brought up that interesting point in regards to deeper structures. Now, obviously, like if you're working with concussions, we know that because of the torsional element that uh, of an impact, uh, that the center midline structures have, um, often have the biggest opportunity for the most damage. Uh, so deeper structures or being able to measure them or train them would be amazing. Um, but what are we getting currently with the mainstream QEG assessment protocols? Right. So, and this was a big question when I was kind of researching everything because it was just, I was trying to wrap my head around. I'm like, okay, we're, we're training the surface, but our whole game is really looking at these inner structures, this bottom up, um, top down system. You know, it just, it seemed like there was a lot more that could be impacting it. Um, and so, but what I've come to realize, especially now using it in practice, that, um, we're not doing research in here. So none of my patients are only getting neurofeedback. I'm doing everything I have in here with them. So I'm doing gaze stabilization. I'm doing other things. I'm doing some of that bottom-up information, and I'm also using the QEG to come and do some of that top-down. But um, so the, the Z-score surface neurofeedback is what I was just kind of explaining, more of that surface um, about six centimeters down um, training. When you get to Loretta, which is um, low-resolution electromagnetic tomography, I think I said that correctly. Um, it is this creates this is deeper, um, and so this is looking. You can look more into like the cingulate, the insula. You can get a little bit deeper, mm-hmm. and you get more of a 3D image. And so, what this also allows you to do is train voxels, which you can think of it almost like a pixel in a picture. A voxel is more of like a 3D pixel in the brain map. And so you can actually train specific areas that are a little bit deeper, like those areas that I said, towards those norm- towards the normative database. And so that's where it gets very interesting. Um, and I'm, I'm very interested in continuing learning and researching and being able to kind of um, really use that technology more specifically because it seems to... Um, be really relevant to what we do as well. As far as getting even deeper, um, there's some studies with fMRI neurofeedback, but I mean, I don't have a million dollars to have an fMRI unit in my office. <laughs> give it a couple but those, years. Give it a couple yeah, years. Yeah. So those, there is some, there are some studies with regards to that, which are a little bit deeper, um, a little bit more specific, but it's not very, it's not very accessible. Got it. Got it. Cool. This is great. So uh, I also want to ask you, uh, you talked about, we talked, kind of talked about what the data you can get from that um, and how specific we can get with that and w- where we can actually map. Uh, one thing I've always wondered is if you had a brain map on somebody, you did their cue, and, and let's say you immediately after that did a physical or and a neurological exam like we've been trained, uh, how do you see the correlations? Like, it, it, like for example, like if you somebody – who was well-versed in reading QEG, could they, like, what's the likelihood of them saying, hey, this is what I expect in this patient's presentation? Like, these are the possibilities based off this this brain map. Does it, how tight is that correlation, I guess is what I'm asking. 
Yeah, so it's um, it's not necessarily like an actual physical exam finding, but there's definitely cognitive findings. So um, the way that we run our diagnostics is that um, patient comes in, the first thing that they do is a Q, then they run through um, V&G, balance testing, C3, um, a few other things. And I put it all together before I even see them. And so I, it's been kind of a fun little game for me because I will look at a cue and I say, hmm, I, I don't know this person's history. I don't know anything about them yet. I haven't even seen them. And I can say, okay, this person looks like they may have a little bit of AD. It's either maybe they had ADHD or they've had a head injury. Or this person looks like they probably have a lot of anxiety or maybe even a pain syndrome. And so I can see a little bit of that. Then I usually, I pull up their C3 and I'll look at their symptoms and I can say, hmm, they have a sleep disorder or they have anxiety or they have this, you know, I can see that. Mm. And then I go into the exam and I, I mean, just looking at them, I can usually see if they're anxious or um, uh, ADHD or maybe some depression or if they had a brain injury. And then I start to get their history and it usually all starts to click together. Um, and so you can just looking at these maps, you can see a lot, but just like everything we do in this practice, nothing is ever taken alone. And so, um, I take all their diagnostics and the brain map and I compare everything because I'm not just going to treat, um, I'm not going to just treat a map if they have got something else going on. Does that make sense? No, that, that makes perfect yeah. sense. Hey, so you named some symptoms and different types of conditions. So what type of patients... Uh, can one expect to hopefully help with this type of technology? Yeah, so um, some of the biggest, re I mean, some of the first biggest research was done on epilepsy, but we don't we don't treat that here. But um, that was some of the first research uh, done with Sturman. But uh, a lot of research has gone into um, ADHD, anxiety, depression, and more and more research is going into MTBI, mm -hmm. and um, and that's I mean a combination of those symptoms and or the symptoms alone is pretty much everything that we see in here. I mean, all of our patients are usually MTBI or pain syndromes um, or children with ADHD or autism. And so uh, it does correlate really well with just the, the population of patients that we tend to see in this field. And, um, and again, just like anybody who comes in, Dr. Carrick's always said, like, a person doesn't have just one thing, you know, like they can yeah. have multiple things going on. And what I tend to see too is uh, we also tr we also work with a lot of Lyme patients and um, chronic uh, illness patients here. And I've seen a lot with some of those patients and some of these long-term cases that their brain maps tend to have extremely high uh, fast waves. And I mean, I I'm, I'm theorizing here, but it just seems that when you get into these chronic cases and chronic pain syndromes and these get stuck in these loops of obviously there, it's normal to have anxiety and um, over these conditions, but we, what we can see on this map, it kind of gets a little out of control. And so it's hard. They have this normal reaction to a condition they're having, but then they can't get out of it. And that's so not only are they having this horrible condition, but then they have this constant anxiety that's sitting on top of it that they can't break out of mm -hmm. and so by using the neurofeedback along with all of our other modalities we can kind of calm that part down and then treat their actual condition that they're coming with so it's just a really good combination with all the other treatments that we use to address a lot of the symptoms that come directly from a condition and the symptoms that come 
because of the suffering from a condition. Oh, this is this sounds incredible. So um, you actually kind of touched upon my next question is as if let's say I, I was to introduce this, uh, I have a brand new practice, let's say I'm doing, you know, uh, applying clinical science with my patients or a wide variety of patients. How do you weave this in? Now, you said you open up the Q and then go into like the V and G and posturography and things like that, right? Yeah, for our diagnostics, that's mm. that's what we. That's, I mean, that's just how our rooms work. <laughs> um, that's just that's how we do our diagnostics. But as far as treatment goes, um, right now a lot of our patients they fly in for a weekly intensive, and so that was a tricky part for me too because I was like, okay, usually neurofeedback is done over many many weeks, um, mm. and maybe like two or three times a week, and I was like, okay, how there is no research to support multi-day training or um, there's just not even to not support it, there's just none, no research. And so I was like, all right, well, let's just see how this goes. And um, the, all the, everything I had learned and the physiology behind it and understanding of it, it all made sense that we should be doing it in combination. And so I, the program that I went by was that we're going to do a half hour of training and then we're gonna go into a half hour more of clinical neuroscience of our neurotherapies that we regularly do for patients. And so my, my theory behind that was to kind of get their brain and their brain waves moving towards that, that norm. And then you're, you know, you're, you're priming these neurons and then put them into the therapies that are activating those neurons. And so that was my theory and it's been my theory. <laughs> and, um, so that's what we've been doing. And so I'll do twice so twice a day with that. And then their third session is just the neurotherapies. Mm-hmm. Um, and we've gotten pretty good results. I mean, I'm not sitting here doing research. I can't tell you I haven't isolated anything, you know, but we've gotten pretty good results with, with doing that. Well, yeah, that's what I was going to ask you. I go, hey, this is your theory. How are the results been in a sound? And listen, I'll, I'll say this. I've heard nothing but amazing things about your practice. So uh, this is one of the reasons we have you on the show. We want to know, I want to learn about, I want to learn what you know. This is great. I want to, and our scholars obviously want, appreciate you kind of sharing this. Um, and in regards to the intensives model, I, I know that there hasn't been research done on lots of these things in uh, in regards to the intensives, especially for healthcare, but I mean, if you just look at the research in regards to neuroplasticity, uh, mm-hmm. you'd think the model would be incredibly supportive of it. So part of me right. wonders if we did research, if we looked up the research in regards to learning, not just like a rehabilitative procedure uh, in regards to changing brain, what we'd find. I, I think it would echo the reasoning uh, why you're choosing the model you're choosing. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, and that's what neurofeedback is. It's learning. I mean, and that's what our train, what all, everything else we do, it's just learning. You know, it's, it's firing into these neuronal pools and making them steadier and uh, more flexible so they can do their job more appropriately. And so both neurofeedback and our other modalities are, are going towards that same goal. And so it did, it all made sense with that model. And um, we've seen pretty good results with it. Yeah. When it comes to the intensives model, this is the analogy I always use. I say, hey, um, do you know French? And the patient goes, no, no, I don't know French. I go, well, I'm going to have to teach you French. I could either give you one lesson a week for the next, you know, 12 weeks, or I can uh, drop you in France and you're going to be there for the next 10 days. And they go, which, I asked them, which one do you think you're going to learn more French? And they're like, well, if I'm in France for 10 days, I'm, I'm going to be forced to learn a lot. I'm like, yeah, because you had the intensity and the repetition while you're there. And they go, 
you know, that makes a lot of sense. I go, I think so too. This is why you're here. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, like with everything, I mean, we, we screen our patients. There's some conditions where that it's just not Mm -hmm. the right model, Right. but there's, there's a lot where, you know what, this is, this is a good starting point for you. And then we'll continue to work together when you're home. Right. Hey, so I keep hearing about the amazing results. Do you, do you have a, a patient example of somebody that benefited from this integrated QEG and neurofeedback model? Sure. Um, yeah, I was actually, I was just looking through one and um, this was a 19 year old uh, boy who had a concussion. Um, and so we were, we brought him in, we had done a cue, um, all of our diagnostics, everything. And some of his uh, biggest complaints were um, concentration, fatigue, um, reading, and um, yeah, I think those were like the major, you know, we usually try and categorize into those, okay, what are your top goals? And those were his top goals. And so uh, our therapies, our regular, our neurotherapies consisted of some gaze stabilization, some balance training, um, really um, more some more specific um, cognitive tasks, memory tasks with him. But then we were also doing Z-score neurofeedback. And so he would come in for 30 minutes. We would do Z-score neurofeedback. We're working towards, we did 19 channels. We did the whole head. We're working towards bringing those towards norm. Um, Actually, let me back up and tell you what his diagnostics were. Um, So, yeah. So on his map, um, we pull this up and he has um, increased theta specifically in the frontal lobes. And so that right there is telling me that it's some ADHD or what we've seen now in the research is that increased theta is also indicative of traumatic brain injury. And so this also correlates with his concussion. So I'm, and this is going to make him, it's going to make it difficult for him to concentrate. Theta is a slower wave. It's more of a um, twilight state. It's kind of what we would be transitioning into if we were falling asleep. Mm-hmm. So it's very difficult to be attentive and alert and really engaged with the, the task that you're currently doing. And so it fit in perfectly with the symptoms that he was having. And um, his VNG also showed some stuff and his balance testing showed some other things that we also addressed, which also fit into his symptoms. And so um, he trained um, every day when he was here. And so then uh, on Friday, we redid his cue and the theta dropped dramatically. Um, I mean, I'm looking at it right now and there was, let's see, when he first came in, there was about 10 areas that were either orange or red um, with regards to theta. And then when he left, there was two orange and two yellow. And so he was going to yellow is one deviation from norm. And so he was moving towards that zero. And so this was just, and he, and then I look at his C3 and I look at these symptoms and when he came in, he didn't have a single score in a zero. Pretty much everything was three or above really specifically drowsiness, um, fatigue, difficulty, concentrating, all were sixes. His initial symptom score was 107. He left with a symptom score of 32. So, I mean, it was obviously I cannot sit here and say it was the it was only the neurofeedback. But looking at that and what his symptoms were and what the changes I can see so specific on that cue, it definitely had a major impact. And then combining it with our other therapies that really targeted that bottom up processing, I think was just a beautiful combination that really helped him kind of get over some major stuff. I really like the model you guys have, the whole 
going at it two sides, at the top down and and the bottom up, uh, is is phenomenal. It, we we're starting to train a lot of physical therapists here at the Carrick Institute, and uh, that's one of the paradigm shifts we have. Because for them, at the beginning, it's that whole biopsychosocial model, and then mm-hmm. we kind of give them that shift that that model is actually just neuroscience, and we open them up to the possibility of using clinical neuroscience for a, a larger top-down model along with their bottom-up model, and they kind of go, holy cow, this is this is going to be powerful. And we're like, yeah, it, it, yeah. it is. <laughs> this is. This is why you're here. Now let's yeah. get to it. This is great. Um, gosh, you were telling me that story. I had one more question. Of course, it's going to escape me. You know what? I, I It slips my mind. Um, but yeah, that, that's uh, it's, a, it's, a, it's a great example of, of what you can do with, with patients. Oh, I remember my question. So as they're doing the neurofeedback training, how do you assess when they've done too much? For example, let's say you have a patient that's a little more fragile. Uh, for whatever reason, maybe they've just been you know, chronic for so long, they're fragile, or they're very acute and they're fragile, or maybe there's a, a metabolic component which makes them uh, not have endurance to any therapy at all. Um, how do you know when they've done too much? Yeah, um, I mean, it's an interesting model because the the way the neurofeedback works it's kind of, it's working with what the brain is doing you know what i mean so mm-hmm. it's it it is it's pretty um it's not a not very invasive it's not um very stressful for a lot of the patients because it's really working with what they have but i have seen um because I, I do have some patients who are local who come in um two three times a week and um i can see with them i'm like oh today isn't the best day for you. You know, I can see that because I can monitor while, I, while they're doing the training, I'm monitoring their Z-scores. I can see the whole screen filled with their Z-scores of every single location of every single bandwidth. And usually within a few minutes, I can see them starting to come down. They're getting more into that norm. And then um, some days I'm looking and I'm like, it's, they're having difficulty today. You know, so I can see when they're a little fatigued or maybe they, they're they've had a lot going on that morning or, you know, something happened. So it it is, I can see that. And I'll I'll usually say, Hey, you know what? Like, let's just do about 20 minutes of training and then let's go come back the next day. So so that data you're, that the, the, the unit is giving you, you can actually assess, uh, their metabolic capacity, kind of judging the results from that. You, yeah, I'm uh, watching it the whole time. Yeah, that, that makes a lot of sense. It makes a lot of sense. Well, this is this is phenomenal. Listen, I I just want to say thank you very much for coming on the show and sharing this and uh, this education with us. You're going to save a lot of other clinicians' time when it comes to learning about this field. I've heard nothing but incredible things about uh, you and your practice and the results that you're getting down in Miami. Um, if if uh, somebody that's listening to this uh, Carrick podcast wants to learn more about you or connect with you, uh, where do they find you, Dr. Brenner? Yeah, I mean, our you can always reach out to our website, uh, southfloridaintegrative.com. Um, there's also a section on there if you need to contact us. Um, email, phone, we're always happy to talk. And we do have a lot of students who come in and other doctors who come in to observe. So we're always welcome people to come in and learn. Excellent. Well, again, Dr. Brenner, thank you very much for sharing. We really appreciate it. Uh, one thing that I want to say is as you, you know, as you acquire more experience using neurofeedback and QEG, I think you're going to learn and see a lot of correlations, which in a couple of years, I think are going to be uh, very interesting. So I definitely want to have you uh, back on and, and get a more historical perspective 
on what you're doing because I think what you're doing is really amazing. I mean, to use this technology, a lot of people use it in isolation, but to then have your mm-hmm. gift of physical and neurological exam and see those correlations and see how they interplay with each other and, and just all the experience you're going to have with all this technology and capability, I think is going to be an incredible share. I'd love to have you back on. And just so thank you again. And, uh, and we'll catch you next time. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. All right. Bye, Dr. Brenner. Bye. If you enjoyed this podcast and would like to make any suggestions for any future podcast topics, please visit the Contact Us page on carrickinstitute.com.